Welcome to your Future Therapist podcast, where two friends discuss real-life topics about mental health and well-being so others feel less alone. Today, Megan is taking the helm of the podcast to help us understand social and economic inequities. So in between interviews and other mental health and well-being topics, Megan is going to introduce us to real experiences that are different from mine and hers. Topics that range from today's topic to diversity in the workplace to what equity really means. And I know what our demographics are, and this is why I feel this subject and the ones that we'll talk about in the future are so important. Four years ago, I would have passed on these subjects because I felt uncomfortable and I felt defensive. But the reality is, and really it comes down to the whole purpose of this podcast, is that we have to figure out a way to be open to what others go through when it's different than our own experiences. If we don't, we lack understanding, we lack compassion, and we lack a willingness to step into diverse experiences that are happening in our very own communities. So I say that as an invitation to you to listen in and to join us in this conversation. And to be honest, I am new to this. So I would love for you to learn with me. And with that invitation, Megan, why don't you start us off? So I studied anthropology and psychology when I was at my university. And that's what got me going with all of this. Before I was at my university, and actually for the first probably, I believe, year and a half, two years of schooling in college, I was very much not aligned with um, what the anthropological way of thinking is. And by that, I mean, cultural, cross-cultural sensitivity and understanding. And I, so I was studying psychology and I really liked that. And I liked um, learning about how people think I've always been interested in that. So it was, that was fine, but I felt like something was missing and I wanted to study a little bit more about human history. And so I was like, I think anthropology covers that. So I started taking an anthropology class and it was medical anthropology, an introduction to medical anthropology, which I'd never, I barely knew what anthropology was. And I definitely didn't know what medical anthropology meant. And up until this point, I was, I had regularly made like sexist jokes against women and thought that that was funny and thought that that made me like one of the cool girls. And I had, when I was younger, I had made racist jokes before, not because I actually genuinely felt that way, but because everybody around me was, and I, you know, everyone was laughing and I was like, oh, this is just part of society's humor. And so I was very much not, um, not somebody that immediately latched on to what cultural anthropology was trying to to teach me. And so the first couple weeks of my medical anthropology class, it was a lot about um, just by nature. It was a lot about uh, what women have to go through and what intersectionality means. And I was totally defensive. And I was like, this is not something that I really need to learn about, whatever. I'm just here to learn about other stuff. And then about halfway through the class, we learned about how, so there was an example that was, that the professor had brought to us about a woman who, if you're a doctor and a woman as a patient comes in and she has a wound on her head, but she wears a head covering and you are not allowed to see her head without the head covering. The only person that's allowed to is her husband. And at first, you know, we're all like, that's ridiculous. Like that's, that's sexist and that's terrible. And that's not how we would do things. Like we were all just kind of like defensive and whatever. And then she was like, okay, but 
you can't do anything about that. So what do you do as the doctor? And none of us knew how to answer that because we'd never even thought of something like that ever coming up because that's so far removed from what our culture would be like as far as not being able to show a doctor a part of your body Mm -hmm. that has a wound on it. Like that's just not what we have to deal with here. And so we, we were totally stumped. And then she, you know, put us into groups. So we had to kind of come up with some ideas and it was so, it was one of the hardest exercises I've ever had to do. And then she came, she, after that, you know, we presented our ideas and then she gave us a whole list of things that were really simple, like pull up a picture on, or go to Google images or something and search for it, have her describe to you what the wound looks like, and then find a, have her find a picture that's as close as possible. Try and try to go from there. Ask her if, you know, you can step out of the room and her husband can take a picture of the wound and then you can look at the picture. And the simple problem solving that came with that, it was so interesting and it like completely flipped a light bulb for me because I was like, I was so focused on what I felt was like this self-righteous indignation that, you know, somebody else in another culture was having to go through something that I perceived as being totally oppressive and not okay because it was unlike what I have to go through. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I couldn't do simple problem solving because of my self-righteousness that I was feeling really made me rethink everything that I knew about or that I thought that I knew about how to view myself as a woman, about a white person there. It really changed everything from that moment. And then I remember it was actually a struggle. I was in a romantic relationship at the time where uh, he did not like the changes that I was about to make about, Mm -hmm. you know, my values about how I was about to change. Um, And, you know, with a lot of people in my family, they were um, of a different mind as well. And I had a lot of people that I knew growing up because I, you know, grew up in a bubble and like a lot of us do. And so it, that really changed everything for me. And to me, that was a really simple way to showcase that we have very narrow minds a lot of the time and we don't even realize it. So I have a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. So, and, and also I, as Megan's talking and bringing up maybe new terminology that maybe you've not heard, I am putting some terms with links to definitions, um, in the show notes, but my question to you, as you were going through that exercise, Megan, it's, um, are, would you say that that's a bias that you had Mm-hmm. with that with um well I mean it could be you know that culture right it's a bias that yeah. you're that you're having to that you're basically enacting and I didn't know I don't know anything about that culture and she didn't even give a specific mm-hmm. country or region or anything I mean it it was just that she wears that head covering and that is millions billions of people could fall under that category sure. in different areas of the world and so we hear that here and I guarantee that all of us have an idea of what that woman might look like and what Mm -hmm. the man might look like but I don't know anything about that culture actually relating to their clothing that they wear what cultural significant positive cultural significance that that might have I immediately jumped to the conclusion based on what I've been told for my entire life about people with certain skin colors that wear head coverings Mm -hmm. and I have been told 
that that's bad and that the people are bad and that they fall under like a certain type of person that we have to fear and that they they live a totally different way and it's not in a positive way and so I had all of that growing up. It wasn't my fault that I had been told all of that. Not at all. Of course, of course, that's not my fault that that's what had been drilled into me. I can't control what the adults and authority figures and the media and schooling in elementary and middle and high school, like all of all of these people in positions of power and all of society around me are telling me one thing. Of course, I'm not going to know mm-hmm. anything different, but the the key thing that happened to me, at least in that moment, and I would have loved it to have been earlier in my life, but is I recognized right then that I had the bias and that I needed to change that because it wasn't helping anybody at all. And I was also wrong. (laughs) So it, it took me realizing that, yes, I had been taught something and I was comfortable with a certain way of thinking and I had a bias and that's not my fault that that had happened before, but it, from that point on, it would be my fault if I continued that line of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Do you have any other? Yeah, well, do you have any I mean, other questions about that? Part? part of it is just like what I'm also hearing is it doesn't matter what the uh, either your perceived background of that person. It's mm-hmm. the fact that that person is is saying, I can't do what you are expecting me to do and, and looking to you for this, uh, you know, the solution to the issue. And, mm-hmm. and for me, what that means is that as the caregiver, right, or the, the doctor or even the therapist, which will be my future role, is that the solution or isn't always what you have done for somebody else or the people that you're around all the time, right? That, 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 or what you believe such... to be the right thing. Exactly. What you believe to be the right thing or the thing that you have known your entire life, that that does not fit to every person living. And so it really calls to learning about other people's needs and just taking their kind of taking their word for it, like not imposing what I think they need, but rather listening to what they're saying and taking it as truth and working with that. That's how Mm -hmm. I kind of interpret that. But yeah. Yeah. So that was um, a big awakening for me, like kind of like part one, part two of my life. You Mm -hmm. know, it was, that was a big shift and I'm so grateful that I happened to take that class. It was like one of the classes that was available during the summer term. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'll just sign up for this. It's it's going to be required at some point to take it. So I just took it without, I had no idea what it even was. And I'm, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. So I'm really glad that I took that class. And when I had that light bulb moment that I moved forward in a different way, I changed course. And that's all that it took was me re- just deciding, okay, time to learn something different. And that's okay. It was scary and weird. And like I said, it, it impacted other relationships that I had, but that was what needed to happen in order for me to, to move and grow forward into like the next phase of person that I needed to be. It's okay to let go of other things that you've been told or taught or other friendships or relationships or whatever that you have. It's okay to let go of those things if they're not benefiting you in a positive way anymore. You know, I kind of, I take that from it as well, you know, on a personal level. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. I take that from it. So, um, so that was medical anthropology. That's an example of what, um, you know, the medical anthropology subsect of anthropology, what it can teach you. And so that was really interesting. And I took a lot more medical anthropology classes after that. Um, but then food anthropology is another, um, another really uh, interesting way to <laughs> interesting. It's that a lot of these are sad ways to also realize what's going on in the world around you. Um, but very interesting with food anthropology. And um, there's just a you know, there's a lot that goes into it because anthropology is the study of humans. Um, and I know this isn't an anthropology specific mm-hmm. podcast, but it's the study of humans past, present and future. And so everything goes into that. We're, we're connected to everything. And, um, you know, one of the, one of my favorite books that we read that has to, it kind of blends the medical and the, and food anthropology is it's called chasing polio in Pakistan. And if we get to that point in the podcast where we do an episode, um, that will relate to that. I would love to talk about it more, but it's about how eradicating polio is a very different task in Pakistan than it is in the United States or than it was in the United States. And she, this woman um, went to Pakistan and studied what was happening and wrote a book about it. And it's very interesting. And um, again, made us, made me think, oh, it's not, it's you can't just directly translate everything that is happening here or in my little bubble to another culture or another country or region or or continent and have it have the same effect there's a lot of other factors about food and health and the way that people behave and what's going on with their economy and their political system there's a lot of other things that go into it and it's kind of like too bad you can't get away from that that it it is around you whether you're uncomfortable with that idea or not um so that's uh that's something that i would love for us to talk about it a, a deeper conversation um that i would love for us to talk about at some point um and yeah so those are those are ones that kind of subsects of that of anthropology that kind of jump out to me as um good ways they give good examples of ways that we can reframe our thinking of what we have now kind of untangle or detangle the biases that we have and then bring it full circle around to relate to how that means that we can move about in the world so tell me what you would say to somebody who says but i mean that's in pakistan like I live yeah. in Little Woodland. Tell me why I need to, why this would benefit me. Yeah. I mean, it, you probably don't even know it, but there's probably somebody who's from Pakistan that lives in your city, at least one person, or there are mm-hmm. people who are from cultures that can relate a lot more heavily to Pakistan and they are in your community and you don't know them because the people that you have surrounded yourself with look, talk, behave, think exactly the way that you do. And so you you don't even realize probably that there are a lot of people that are within your direct community that are business owners in your community that maybe pick the food that you eat, you know, all of that locally grown food. Who's actually picking all of that, the food? that comes mm-hmm. from the area that we live in here. Do you know all of the people that are picking your food? And do you know all of the people that are in the healthcare industry? Do you know all the people that are working in the fast food restaurants that you look down upon because working in fast food is easy and you don't need an education for it? And so I would say that there are probably a lot more people that are very closely related either to that country directly or to 
countries or cultures that are experiencing similar issues that we could talk about with that one direct example of eradicating polio in Pakistan. There are probably a lot of people that do relate to that directly and they are around you. You just don't realize it because of the community, the part of the community that you've chosen to surround yourself with, because that's all you know, maybe, you know, it might not be your fault. Again, it might be that that's what you've known for your whole life and you've you don't know anything different and that's okay for now. But once you start to open your eyes a little bit more and start to think a little deeper about the people that are directly around you, but then also not just that there might be people in the community around you, but there, they have, you know, you can take that direct issue again, for example, of eradicating polio in Pakistan. And if you're just saying, well, that's Pakistan, you're missing the whole point of, all of the factors that are leading into trying to eradicate a disease there. And to you, that just seems so you, you haven't lived around polio, maybe. So you don't understand what it means to try to eradicate a disease. And again, we're just using one specific example here, but by, by saying that, by deflecting and saying, oh, well, that is, that somebody is over there. That's a different country. I don't live in that country. I can't do any, I can't, eradicate polio myself correct you can't but you're missing the whole you're kind of intentionally maybe it's subconscious but your brain is trying to deflect the actual point which is that there are a lot of systems in place that do not protect people of color or marginalized communities people who look different from you people who have certain religions people who have just certain beliefs or have certain amounts of money the systems that are in place are not there to protect them. They might be there to protect you. You might have never not felt that protection of the society and the economy around you. So you don't even know what it's like to feel a lack of protection. And your community, again, the people that you are around also might not know that. It doesn't mean that you've never had any type of financial stress, for example, or you've never felt hungry, for example, or you've never had to work hard to get something. It's not about that. It's about the full system being there to support certain people. And that's not your fault, the way that the system is designed. But having that understanding that, yeah, it you might not be in Pakistan, so it might not be impacting you directly, but there are people around you who, even if they live in community as you they have a very different type of protection maybe of the larger society or the economy around them they might not have the same type of financial health nutritional security that you do and so they live a really different type of life and you don't even realize that maybe and so this one example could be one of many that can open up your eyes to the people that are kind of you know in your eyes hiding in the community that are going through stuff that you don't even know about it, it could lead to some more empathy on what they're going through. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there was a lot of words. <laughs> no, I think it's so, um, you are, you're able to express this in a way that, um, I don't know, it just touches my heart, right? When you talk about these things and, and how important it is to, listen and to not immediately jump uh, into our biases and and to recognize that 
not everybody has the same privilege and the same upbringing that, that I have, right? Like it's so important to recognize that my experiences are not everybody else's experiences. And then I have to recognize that um, and acknowledge that there are systems in place for, you know, purposefully in place that are working very well, right. Mm -hmm. For, um, to oppress. And so I just think it's such, this is a great intro conversation to future conversations. I did want to ask, you had mentioned, um, food anthropology. Would you just give me a summary of what that maybe a couple of topics that would be introduced on the podcast around that? Yeah, I mean, you can, just for a little larger context of so food anthropology is, you know, that's breaking it down from anthropology as a whole, but you can, you can break that down even more to talk about evolutionary food anthropology, what that meant for human ancestors. You can talk about cultural food anthropology, biological food anthropology and how it directly affects our body. So there's a lot of ways that you can break that down even more. And I think what we would cover on the podcast is more cultural anthropology to understand how, you know, just, you know, relatively simple concepts like we think in this country in the United States that eating bugs is disgusting. And then in certain cultures around the world, it's absolutely not. And mm -hmm. so that's one type of bias just within food anthropology that we can be a little bit more sensitive to just understanding that just because we have a certain way of thinking about food or a bias, that doesn't mean that everybody else shares that same bias. And it doesn't mean that we need to feel a sense of self-righteousness that the way that we think about food is the way that everybody should think about food. And so I think that that's like kind of a good way to introduce that concept of food anthropology and then getting into the socioeconomics of it, you know, it's it's really easy to look at, like, for example, uh, groups of people who are really overweight. And it's like, well, like, you know, uh, maybe harmfully overweight and being like, well, that's the choices that they made. And it's like, well, I mean, kind of, but is it like what maybe look at what the grocery stores are like around them? and where they're able to source their food are they able to access fresh fruits and vegetables at all and are they able to access anything that is organic and like how do they actually how are they able to get to the grocery stores Just, is there a single mother who has four children that she has to feed and she has no car and she has to work two jobs to be able to afford everything so she has to find her way to a grocery store if she even has one that supplies fresh fruits and vegetables in her town, but she has to take a bus to get there. And she also has to do it knowing that her children have some type of childcare or they're at school and in between her two jobs. And so that's, um, you know, that is, I would say you can, you can kind of start with looking at food as kind of like in an intro way, just rethinking maybe how you view food. And then you can dive into um, what, what are the social systems that are in place that are preventing certain people from getting food. And then if you have decades of what are called food deserts, where people don't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables and don't have access to good grocery stores or affordable, maybe it's more expensive because they might live in an area of the country where they have to transport the food a lot farther to be able to get to grocery stores so then it's more expensive for them 
And so then you can start to think about how, yeah, if there's decades of that, and there's also no education for certain people on what they should be eating, they don't have time to cook either. And so of course, they're going to go to a convenience store and they're going to get something that's pre-made because they don't have two hours at home every evening mm-hmm. to make a, a fresh, healthy dinner. So I think that that would, you know, that's going far with it once you start to get um, more, I don't want to say comfortable, but more comfortable with your discomfort of how you have to reframe your thinking. And then you can, again, turn that into how to have empathy for the people around you that might be going through something different with food and security that you you don't realize. And I, I mean, I have visited an urban city on the East Coast and can attest to the lack of fresh fruits and vegetables in the local grocery store. So, I mean, that was something, and this was, you know, quite a few years ago where I noticed that immediately. And I live in California, which, and in a farming town where Mm -hmm. fresh produce just is, is so accessible. Right. And also I'm my economic status. I mean, I can afford those things too. And, um, and so to not see them uh, while on vacation, not, not seeing fresh fruits and vegetables, it was, um, it was shocking. Like it was very eye-opening. And that was my first kind of introduction to wondering like, why is this like this? Like, why is, why is there no fruit, fresh fruits and vegetables? And, and even Megan about, you know, the quality of the uh, protein, right? Like, I mean, all, Mm -hmm. there's all types of, I guess, levels and depending on where, where we're talking about, there's um, different quality of, you know, the beef that you're buying or, I mean, all the things you're not going to find organic beef in the local grocery store in the middle of Queens, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, but there are reasons for that. And I think that that's what we're going to, maybe not specifically that reason or that topic, but we're going to be discussing um, the systems, right. That are in place. And I want to say one thing about privilege really quick, because that is a major trigger word for Mm -hmm. a lot of people, white people in particular, um, because they hear privilege and they hear white privilege and they automatically get defensive and think, well, it's not my fault that I have a good job. I worked hard to get my good job and I have a nice house and stuff. And that's not necessarily what we're talking about with privilege. Yes, of course, that's a privilege to have a nice house in a safe neighborhood and all of that. We all know that. And we all grow up like, oh, I'm, you know, I, I'm so grateful and I'm so blessed for having food on the table and having a safe house, you know, a roof over my head and stuff. That's really, that's a really basic way of thinking about it. And we all know that we can move past that. So if you hear the word privilege, I encourage you to not let your hackles raise and automatically feel like you're being attacked for your whiteness. And instead, think about the deeper hidden levels of what that type of privilege, perhaps for your skin color, perhaps for your gender, for your ethnicity, what that privilege might benefit for you. So if you're a white person and you're walking around a store, you most likely this is of course not for every person on the planet, but you most likely don't have to feel like the people who work at the stores are going to be following you and targeting you, assuming that you're going to be doing something wrong or shoplifting. If you're a black person, you're probably 
always thinking about that. And you're probably always assuming because it's probably true in a lot of instances because of biases that white people have. And I know I'm being general, but they probably have this feeling of knowing that they're the ones who are probably going to be targeted if something goes wrong, or people are going to assume that they would shoplift before a white person would shoplift. Or if you are a black person walking down the street and there's a white person walking towards you, and a lot of times a white person will cross and walk on the other side of the street because they immediately feel like they might be in more danger because of everything that they've been told throughout their whole lives. And so that's the sort of hidden systemic level of privilege and and another example is as you were talking about the food desert in queens like it's not privilege that you have food on the table it i mean that kind of is but really it's that you have the privilege of being able to go to a grocery store and and that you have a lot of options for you mm -hmm. you have enough money in your pocket that you know that you can comfortably purchase a bag of groceries and that you're able to go home and cook everything and that's not really something that you have to think about, whereas there are people who absolutely do not have access to that and nobody in their community has access to that. And so that's what we're talking about when we say privilege. It's not that basic level that everybody's gets all upset about. It's those underlying things that you have attributed to you based on the color of your skin or your gender or something because of the system that is there to protect you over other people and you yourself may not have designed that system but just recognize and acknowledge that the system does benefit you a little bit more mm -hmm. and then figure out how to move forward from there it's not saying that you have to give up every single thing in your life because you have privilege it's just understand and recognize it and then figure out how to move forward and I think that's what we're asking listeners to do, right? Is to have yeah. that open mind. And yes, we acknowledge like the topics that we're talking about might or will feel uncomfortable and you might feel defensive. I mean, all the things I kind of talked about in the intro um, to the episode, it's, it's yes. I mean, it does, it makes you know, used to actually make me feel very guilty, but I also didn't understand it to the level that you just expressed and explained, um, Megan. And, and once I could get to, to that point, it made sense that it's actually, it's not about me, although I do have those privileges. What it's about is that there are people that are not given, um, the same opportunities that I have been given. And so, and I have been using those opportunities unaware, totally unaware of the effect that it has on other people or that are in the same system, right? And so, or in a different system that was built for them, right? Just to, to remain in. Um, so, yeah. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. Any other topics or, the, or anything else that you think that we'll talk about in future episodes that you'd want to I mean, mention here? Nothing that I can think of that, um, that really needs to be mentioned at the moment. I think that there's a lot of ways that you can go with this. There's lots of, you know, rabbit holes you can dive down with these sorts of concepts, but I think that this is a, a good, um, introduction into what, 
opening your your mind to like a new way of thinking i think this is a good introduction of how that can happen and that it's okay you're gonna feel uncomfortable if you're having to unlearn things that's that's what happens when your brain has to learn something it's gonna be uncomfortable that's the point it's just like when you exercise your muscles get sore and you have to like push through pain a little bit in order to make it happen that's very normal and instead of rejecting that because you don't want to feel any discomfort just you know to be kind of harsh like get over it like that's just what you have you just have to you have to sit in some discomfort if you're ever going to grow 100% and i do want to say as you listen to these episodes and realizations do come forth like we are here for you because yeah. like Megan, you, how you explained earlier, as you were going through your anthropology classes and light bulbs kept going off and it was a, basically as those light bulbs were going off, it was a rub against, you know, old habits and, and current relationships. And you were basically in those light bulbs, you were, it was a challenge to how everybody else was um, operating in your world. Right. And so mm -hmm. I don't know if at the time, and thankfully you were in school, you had your classmates and your professors, but for our listeners, as those light bulbs go off and it is such a felt like such a slap in the face of the people that you're in relationships mm -hmm. with know that we we're totally here for you. I mean, I, I yeah. we're here to support this and to, support you in, in the process and in growing. I mean, this is about personal growth and ways that we can build community and look at ourselves differently in the world and actually interact differently. Um, mm -hmm. So I just want to definitely put that out there that we're not here to just give you the information and go on your way. We want to be a part of the process. So yeah, and we can help um, guide you to some resources of people who do actually go through this. I mean, mm -hmm. Kelly and I are both white and we're both mm -hmm. from the United States. And so we're going to have a certain perspective on how to navigate all of these, you know, ch cultural changes that we're learning about. And we can we can help get you started with like, you know, people you can follow on social media or books that you can read, websites you can go to, you know, films you can watch, stuff like that where you're hearing directly from the people, because it's important to hear directly from the people who do go through this. But I also do want to um, acknowledge that it's not their job. It's not a Black person's job to tell us how to not be racist against Black people. That is our job as an example. So you have to do the work. And we, as people who are in the um, the oppressive uh, portion of society, we have to do our own work in order to make those changes, but that doesn't mean, oh my God, sorry, my dogs are scratching against the door. Don't sorry if anybody it. can hear it. I can't hear it. Um, okay. <laughs> um, we have to navigate that line between making sure that we are not, um, not, not allowing other people to speak what's, what is actually going on, but also not putting the burden on them mm -hmm. to have to tell us so that they can do the work for us. Thank you for saying that. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think we'll wrap it up. Uh, thank you for listening to your future therapist podcast. Make sure to subscribe, like share, and give us a five-star rating on the platform you listen to the podcast on. We're also available on YouTube. Um, if 
you want to reach out to us, you can uh, email us at yourfuturetherapistpodcast at gmail.com, text us at 530-733-6400. You can DM us on Instagram. Our handle is at yourfuturetherapist underscore pod. Until next time, we wish you peace and well-being.